Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Biblical Woman Podcast. I'm Kat. And I'm Nicole. And today we are continuing our Sola series, or I should say beginning. We've done the intro yeah. video, and this is technically our first Sola episode. And we are going to kick it off with Sola Scriptura. And if you remember from the first episode, that means scripture alone. And so that is what we are diving into today. And as promised, it is not just Kat and I today. We have a very special guest and his name is Andrew Glenn. And he is the youth pastor at Calvary Evangelical Church in Van Wert, Ohio, which is where I live. Um, But Andrew has been there since September of 2016. And his ministry, he sees it as him being a coach for students by modeling, training, and encouraging them in their walk with Christ. He graduated from Moody Bible Institute in 2013 with a major in youth ministry, as well as biblical and theological studies. And he's also currently earning his master's degree from Denver Seminary. Um, He was a youth pastor in northern Wisconsin for three years. But he says that the biggest blessing from his time at Moody was meeting his wife, Ashlyn, which I concur because she is fantastic. I love her. Um, They have been married since 2014, and they now have a seven-month-old son who is seriously so adorable. Um, In Andrew's downtime, he loves to have a good coffee, play board games, and watch slash coach sports and watch movies. So... Welcome, Andrew, to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I think that's officially the first time I've been introduced, you know, very formally. So it it, it felt a little bit weird, not going to lie. Okay. Well, it might get a little bit weirder because, okay, that's like the, um, you know, the obligatory, like credentials, right? Mm -hmm. Standard stuff. But let me tell you um, just a few other reasons why we chose you for this podcast. Okay, so one, I have to share this story, Andrew. I don't even think you know what I'm going to say. You have no, no clue. No, I have no clue. Okay, so, so one of the reasons we chose Andrew is because he is very wise. And let me give you an example of this. When um, his wife, Ashlyn, and I were co-workers and became, we were in the process of becoming pretty good friends at that point, while Ashlyn decided that she wanted to work somewhere else. And although that was a very happy thing in her life, it was very sad for us. And so I remember Ashlyn, before she left, she was telling me how she was talking to you, Andrew, and telling you that she was really sad because, you know, we were just getting to be good friends and now she had to leave. And Ashlyn was like, but then he said, Ashlyn, it's not like either of you have died. You can still be friends, even though you don't (laughs) work at the same place. (laughs) And she was just like, Oh yeah. So I mean that right there. Super I mean, wise. <laughs> if wisdom is stating the obvious, then yes, I I, I have truckloads, I guess. So no. Yeah. Um, so that's one reason. A second reason, my daughter had the privilege of being in your youth group last year. Um, the church we were attending didn't have a Wednesday youth group, and so she hopped on over to yours and she just learned a ton and absolutely loved it. The third reason, um, when we were talking about doing this series, Kat was like, you know, we should really get some, some really good like pastors on here. And just my time with Ashlyn, getting to know her. And we talked quite a bit theology, um, theology talk. And actually she was probably the one that I 
did that the most with, I would say before, this was before Kat and I um, were doing the show together. Um, And so just from my talks with her, and that included, of course, like her sharing stories about you guys and your faith as well. I was like, we need to, we need to get Andrew on here. (laughs) So those are, those are the reasons. Well, it's funny you say that because she's normally the, the the bridge for a lot of of my ministry in a lot of ways but the funny thing is my first job i think i got because of her because <laughs> my professor we both were taking the same classes together and um and my professor wrote a letter of recommendation to my these churches he literally said you should hire andrew because of ashlyn and so i mean that it, it's the total truth it's totally the truth but uh yeah, she's she's pretty great so i'm glad she's the roundabout reason why I'm on here today. (laughs) That's awesome. So let's dive in to Sola Scriptura. This was such a foundational part of the Reformation. So let's talk just a bit about the history and the context of what was going on and what was being taught in the church at this time regarding authority. Let's go after that one first. Yeah, that's yeah. a key one for this whole issue, especially in all the solas. This is this is the one that kind of kicks it all off. It's the foundational one to be able to investigate the others. And yeah, the authority of what do we mean by scripture being the authority, the authority on what? That's an important discussion. Mm-hmm. When we think like the, te- the church was teaching about authority of truth, like what was that teaching? I think like during the Protestant Reformation, you know, what we saw and what we still see today within Christology, Oh my goodness, Catholicism is that, you know, they do believe in the authority of scripture, but they also add the authority of tradition and the authority of the Pope. So within Catholicism, you'll see three sources of authority versus the Protestant and evangelical churches where we say, hey, authority is from the scriptures and that's our ultimate authority. And we place as Protestants and evangelicals, you know, we place all logic and reason and tradition underneath the scriptures. So the Bible holds the the utmost and the last word in every conversation. Yeah, it's interesting because how Martin Luther describes his whole understanding of soul scripture. And we have to go back to that, obviously, to get our definition of what was meant during that time. It's an elevation of actually biblical authority. You know, it, it's raising it out of the mess of of all these other different authorities uh, that could possibly be there. And so it's got to be, it's not an exclusion of those authorities. We've got to have the authority of the church. We see that even uh, in the New Testament. You know, we've got in Acts, what is it, 15, where you've got um, the, the Council of Jerusalem. That's an example that is is given for the church authority, and it's necessary but it all has to flow from the authority, well, really of Jesus. You know, it's not even the authority of scripture that we're talking about today. It's the authority of Jesus that has been, that in his, God's word given to the Bible. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I guess I hadn't thought about it like that because we we do still need, you know, that authority even within specific churches, right? We have elders and deacons and we have, you know, that authority even within our local churches. So yes. yeah, Andrew, I think that was a great point. Well, and so, with great commission, Jesus gives has given us authority. 
you know, he said he starts the Great Commission saying, like, all authority has been given to me. And now he's saying, I'm giving that to you to go and do this. And so it's not that the Bible is the only authority. It is that it is the supreme authority in how we go about putting all other writings, understanding, all that has to flow under the authority of Scripture. Yeah, that's good. Well, I think the second thing that was in question within the Reformation was the sufficiency of Scripture. You know, we saw Rome was teaching that the Bible was unclear, and they affirmed that the Bible needed supplements, I think, was would be the right word. So we needed to add and sprinkle in a couple little things here and there. So with the Protestant Reformation, we said, no, the Bible is very clear and it contains the answers that we need in order to live a lifestyle that is pleasing to God. Yeah. And I think with that sufficiency too, it is saying that it contains everything that we need to know for salvation and godly living. Yes. Would you guys, I know the, the old adage of if, if you had the Bible on a desert island and, and, and what you came up with as you read the Bible, that that is sola scriptura, you know, that that's what it's getting at. Where do we find um, the necessity of biblical aids in all of that? The, those uh, secondary uh, helpful resources. I mean, because I, I don't go a week without preparing lessons for youth and stuff where <laughs> then it is incredibly necessary to have good, solid commentary on scripture, or even, I mean, we have to have the Holy Spirit in that. And, and, and that's where I think a lot of the tension in this discussion of Sola Scriptura uh, comes from is a misrepresentation of all it is, is here's your Bible and you, and it's a personal endeavor of interpretation. And we fail to, to, to talk through what does it look like to have make it solo scriptura, not solo scriptura in a, it, in some words. Yeah, I was like thinking that through. I'm like, yeah, because that is a really great point. And commentary, um, I love my study Bible. Like I've learned so much just from reading um, footnotes and kind of the cross reference sections. And yeah, so I think that is that is a great point that it's not the Bible alone in the sense that any other work, you know, of literature that anybody else has ever written isn't helpful, right? And I think those things really do provide a lot of clarity, but still it's ultimately the the Bible, the scripture that is the authority. Like those books, like the, you know, okay, right now I'm reading a, just started a great book by J.C. Ryle called Holiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you like those deep ones. Oh, I do. It's yes. so, it is good. And, and I always think like, you know, anything that I've ever read like it, it's not a new truth, you know, right. it's, it is, it's coming from, you know, the inspired word of God. I was gonna say, I've got the Matthew commentary, Matthew Henry commentary set behind me. So <laughs> there's my answer. Yeah. I just think that's a really important differentiation because there are some segments of evangelical circles that it, it literally is a, a, it's an excuse for poor exegesis mm-hmm. to just mm-hmm. say, I've got my Bible. That's all I need. And that really is just code for, I'm not going to do the legwork to understand culture, to understand writing, like genre, to understand uh, supplementary passages. And that it becomes really, really dangerous. And that's where I think we get some of these bridge off um, understandings of passages and stuff that are just me in a vacuum with the Bible. And the reality is I'm not a first century Jew. Yeah. Well, I think it might also be maybe a 
a pride issue to think that we can understand everything within scripture without the aid of fellow smart Christians in the past or those present in our lives right now as well. Totally. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. we can't negate like just the history. Uh, you know, I've never been one who it's interesting. You have me on for, for this, which is very much rooted in church history. That has never been my forte, you know, coming into things that with church history, it's always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got the, but it's really fascinating when you start to, see how doctrines came about and give credence to the the traditions in the church, Catholic and Protestant, and prior to the divide of how these things came about through the lens of scripture um, and good, excellent study and the building of study on each other and how that doesn't, that's not a knock against Christianity where we start to see like, oh, well, this is a developing faith for the past 2000 years. No, it's, it's, it builds on each other because we're continuing to build on our understanding and our clarity clarification of who God is as it's being espoused through scripture and through cultural lenses. And I think another a couple terms, I guess, to throw out too under this category of sola scriptura is like, we believe that the Bible is inerrant and infallible. Yes. Although it was written by men through the power of the Holy Spirit, that God is the ultimate author of the scripture and that he is truth. He is incapable of lying. So therefore his word is without error and it's impossible for it to be with error. I did a TikTok on that not too long ago. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. If you guys haven't already, check out the biblical women on TikTok. Kat's been killing it with the videos there. Not dancing TikTok dances or anything, you guys, but like uh, nobody wants to see me dance. Giving some really great content and some good um answers, I guess, to some interesting lines of thinking when it comes to some of these doctrines on TikTok. So if you haven't already, check that out. I think it goes back to what Andrew said earlier, seeing that our that church history, we have doctrines that have been established even before the divide in early church history. I did a TikTok on um, original sin and how it was a biblical concept that everybody is a sinner. Ignore the fact that the book of Romans states that very clearly, but I did a TikTok explaining um, how patristics early church history, early church fathers did teach that. And it's been something that most church traditions have held for the past 2000 years. Interesting how doctrine develops over with culture. And so you've got, you know, the age of the reformation and and all of that, but then you've got uh, age of enlightenment right after you've got the industrial revolution and all of these different facets of how our mindsets change, even about ourselves. And we're seeing that even today, you know, as a youth pastor, I, I clearly, I think part of my job and responsibility is having a thumb on, on culture and, and where students are and the influences and, and mindset. And, and it's interesting. We have to be really guarded not to view scripture through the lens of what is commonplace. And so like right now, there's this huge um, elevation of self, which is in a lot of ways really healthy. But when we put that onto scripture of, well, I'm coming to scripture uh, with this ideal understanding of who I am as the supreme authority, and it's all about me, clearly that has to be put under the authority of scripture, under that and that idea of serving and service and, and seeing that as way more important. Yes. Yeah, you're right about that culture of um, 
self-love and just how that has translated to how we view uh, the Bible and the church and its purpose in our life and the lens, you know, that we read scripture through. Yeah, that's been a big issue, I would say, here lately. Ashlyn and I were also talking about that today. But just being aware of that, I think, is huge. We're not going to avoid it. We live in our culture, you know, and, and it's we can't turn against that. We don't even see that in scripture. It's always Jesus is more calling us to be above that, you know, to incorporate, to come with our lenses and not turn against culture. Our enemy is, is you know, Ephesians, it's, it's not flesh and blood. It's very much that deceptive powers that are at play and stuff. And so that's where, where our, our attention has to be as we go to scripture to, wait, who am I? Who are these people? Okay, now I can engage culture properly. Yeah, and I love to that, you know, knowing that God is the author of the Bible and that his word does not change, you know, like, okay, then we know that even though, okay, Moses wrote this thousands of years ago, or Paul wrote this, you know, 2000 years ago, like that it is still applicable. It is still truth just as much as it was truth back then. Because I think sometimes that is one of the biggest arguments against scripture is that, well, it's so outdated. It's so old, not relevant to our culture and our time when it's like, well, but truth doesn't change and God is the author. So it is still incredibly um, relevant and true. Absolutely. John 17, 17. I think that's I think that's the one, Nicole. Yeah. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Yeah, I love that. And the Bible actually tells us a lot about the Bible, if that makes sense. Um, so in 2 Timothy 3.16, right there, that's one of the, the classic ones, right? That all scripture is breathed out by God and mm-hmm. profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Um I love that verse. It just shows, again, just the the importance of scripture. And as Christians, we are not to just read scripture. That's always a great thing to read scripture, but we are to study it because that is how we truly um, just understand who God is and who we are. Yeah. Um, if it's okay, uh, I'd like to share something from 2 Peter 1, 16 through yeah. 21. Let me pick it. Let me read this for my Bible. This is going to be the NASB version guys. So my husband bought a new Bible and I'm testing it out. So normally it's ESV, but today it's NASB for, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for when he received honor and glory from the father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from the heavens when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy spirit spoke from God. And I think that verse really captures a lot of what you were saying earlier, Andrew, about having the aids, having the Holy spirit working and moving in our life. That section of verses really covers soul of scripture. Well, yeah, it's it's going to be incredibly critical that we have that understanding that 
scripture comes to a head almost in, in that passage. It, everything else falls apart if it becomes anything else. If it becomes good ide- ideological thinking, then obviously there's a lot of the Bible that I would disagree or rip out. <laughs> if, it, if it were just ideological thinking that I'm just like, no, don't like this. And yet the pages that I end up having to pay the most attention to because that's my my go-to, my feelings, my um, just how I, if I were running things, how I would do it. And yet that, that foundational truth of the authority of scripture, the fact that 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 is a moving of the spirit in these men's lives that, that we can have even just trust in how scripture came to be because of all those factors. This now gets the credence to dictate my life. My one 80 year period on this earth and my eternity is based on this. So it's a huge idea that we have to wrestle with and need to do the legwork to understand because of the critical importance it is. Yeah. It kind of moves into that first question we had in a sense for the relevance or the application, because I think a lot of people do have questions about how the Bible came to be like, well, how do we know that they wrote the right thing that they were supposed to write? How do we know it's reliable? How do we know? And I think through studying, you know, kind of all the things that we've talked about already, um, like studying church history and studying like, what the Bible says about itself and how that matches up with other sources too. Like, yeah, we can see that we can trust the Bible. And I think that's hugely important. I'm just curious, Andrew, and maybe putting you on the spot with this question, but when people are maybe of teenagers, I'm sure who have questioned, right. They come to you and they question like, well, how do you know the Bible is true? How can we trust what is written? Like what's kind of your, the thing that you tell them? No, that's a really good question. And it's, it's multifaceted because oftentimes somebody comes with that question from a, from a perspective, there's a reason they're asking that question. And so obviously you want to understand what, what that reasoning is, you know, is it literally, they want to just be assured because, you know, they just have the assurance that no, this is legit or Mm -hmm. it's coming from a place of wait, deep hurt because they have a loved one that just passed away and they know for a fact that they didn't believe in Jesus, you know, so you have to be sensitive to that. So I can't say here's a general, but if if I like to go back, I'm I'm a history nerd. I I just am. And so being able to go through, um, you know, some of the things like we've already mentioned, yes, of Jesus using scripture, you know, using even old Testament and stuff. And so there's no doubt in all scholar, you know, biblical Christian scholar or secular, like that Jesus existed, that that's kind of become a, a, a mute argument now. And so we can use him even as, and I go to, I think it's C.S. Lewis. That's like, he was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he, he was who he says he was, he was Lord. And so that's kind of a easy, tangible way of going to it. Do we really think he was crazy? No. Like, do we really think he was lying about it? No, like, and so working through that, but um, there are times when kids like they want to go there to textual criticism, you know, the whole Dead Sea Scrolls and like, okay, how do we get here? How do we get to this point? And those are special circumstances. I'm not going to lie, because that is a headache to dive into, but I'm really grateful for people who do. And so just going back to uh, different codexes that exist that we find and how even texts from Egypt to Syria 
and and in Rome, you know, they start to compare and contrast these texts. And while there might be variances in the sense of a few words here and there of difference, we they're some of the most rock solid uh, historical evidences. We have more codex of scripture than we do of um, writings of Rome, like Julius Caesar, you know, works of Homer and stuff that we take as fact. It, it, it shows a little bit of the bias in the, in that realm that um, scriptural um, contextual um, authority isn't there, but I think that's more says we don't want it to be there mm-hmm. because we believe these other works from history as true because of the few copies that we have, but yet we have, way more and more that cross with each other from history. That yeah. That's a long answer. It, it just varies depending on who you're talking to. No, that was great. And I appreciate that. And I don't know if it was from Velocity, the church camp um, yeah. with our youth group. Yeah. If it was from there, maybe it was, I don't know, it might've been from there, but I remember Noel came home and she was like, mom, did you know that there's more historical evidence that Jesus lived than Julius Caesar? And yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> but I, I love that she learned that, you know, um, at her age. So yeah. yeah, I thought that was, thanks for answering that question. Absolutely. Um, I was going to follow up on the original question of like, what confidence does this give for Christians? I think it gives us the confidence of like being able to try new things. When we have the confidence that we go back to scripture as the authority and accurate and and inerrant. And so we go back to this we have the ability to try new things in church in how we do that different methodology. You jump in on TikTok and do it or this podcast. It's a it's 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 stemming from the authority of scripture, but it, it gets us away from being stuck in a tradition. Um, not that traditions are, are are bad. I think there are a lot of church traditions that are good, but when we become stuck in it, um, then it's kind of like a, a stagnant pond. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of saying like it gives you the confidence to branch out into other venues, other avenues of sharing the gospel. Yeah, because we can have a central authority that we come back to. OK, is this truly am, am I choosing because of like Jesus when he said, like, this is how the people are going to know that you're mine, not that you do church this way, not that you do study this way, not that you do X, Y, Z. It's are, are you loving people? And truly, as believers, we would say loving, loving people is ultimately informing them of who Jesus is. Like, that's a huge part of loving a person. But are you doing that? And man, as long as we have that authority and that grid, it gives us a great level of freedom to try new things outside of the traditional thread. That's awesome. That's a fantastic way to think about it. I definitely a a different perspective than I would have come up with. I mean, that's got to be a journey for you guys in this platform. How have you seen that? So this is kind of just my viewpoint. I'm not saying this is factual by any means, but different generations seem attracted to different types of social media, if that makes sense. Oh, that's fact. That's fact. Okay. (laughs) Like I feel this way, but I don't want to state it as, as it's a fact, but there seems to be different types of questions among different generations. So in this episode, you know, we've talked a lot about, um, questions that I've been encountering on TikTok. you know, like 
what level of authority should scripture have in our life? You know, how can I trust everything that's in the Bible? You know, does it have everything I need to know, like how to live a life that's pleasing to God? I feel like a lot of these questions need to be answered on TikTok. It's probably harder to encounter a lot of these things on TikTok in the time span on that than it is on three minutes or less. Yeah, you get three minutes tops, I guess, unless you do like a like and follow for part two, which everybody hates. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The age that we live in and the technology, there are these, you know, um, opportunities to put the the truth out there to spread the gospel in ways that wouldn't have been possible, you know, even, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, I write for Faith on Every Corner magazine. So there's a plug for that. It's a free digital online magazine, fantastic articles. Um, I've been writing for that for like a year and a half. And I think um, our latest update was that it's read in 95 countries. That's, like, pretty cool. wow, that's awesome. That's crazy. To me. Like that, that's something, you know, like a short little article that I write could have been read in like all of those different countries. Like, what? That's crazy. And like, so that is a way that we are going into all the world. You know, Kat, you put up those TikToks. There's like somebody in Australia or China or the UK, you know, yeah. that's watching. Mm-hmm. Like that wouldn't, who would have thought? Again, just like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a history nerd. And so it, I've heard from somebody the um, probably last month, they were saying uh, there's not been a time like this since really the Reformation where with the invention of the printing press and everything, where there is that mass accessibility. And that was a huge, I don't want to bash on, on Catholics. I really don't. I think they did a lot of things really, really well, but like that was a major problem that they had to centralize the understanding of scripture because it just wasn't accessible. But with that change, there was an accessibility, but that also meant that there had to be a lot of diligence and effort put into uh, application and, and how to train and to equip. And so now Hey, with this platform, it, it's the reprinting press, you know, of our day where you have these platforms where you can get information disseminated to people all over the world in an instant. And that has great advantages and disadvantages. But that's our responsibility as pastors now. It, it, it's not so much creating content. Man, good content comes out all the time. If you want good content, there's a lot better content than me uh, out there or for my youth and stuff. It's, it's how do we train and equip how to, to break down that content, to go back to authority of scripture. Does it line up in those aids and stuff? And so it's just interesting. So you guys are on the forefront of that in a lot of ways in, in your very own printing press varieties. Thanks. (laughs) I love that that way. I think that kind of just to capitalize on this too, um, because of that, because, um, one of this podcast personally, like, you know, whatever I write, whether that's for, you know, another blog or if it's my own blog, I think because I'm doing those things, it makes me, it's been one of the motivators of me diving into scripture and studying scripture diligently and regularly, because I want to, I want to be sure that what, whatever content I'm putting out in whatever capacity, you know, and I will say even too, um, that goes with, you know, I'm a counselor. So I want to make sure whatever content is coming out of my mouth at work or on this podcast or anything that I'm writing, that it is accurate. It's truthful. It is in line hundred percent, you know, as much as like to the best of my ability and understanding in line with scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So yeah, that's been a great motivator for me to dive in and study so that I can be confident in what I am putting out there. Thankful for grace. Yes. Yes. (laughs) We've talked about um, being pastors and being content creators on different platforms and different outlets. But I think like as an individual, the doctrine of sola scriptura to me is very special and I cherish it because it motivates me to study scripture because I can know who God is. I can learn more about him and I can deepen my relationship with Christ through reading scripture, through the moving of the Holy Spirit, and I can strengthen my relationship. So I think like this, that is probably the biggest reason why this doctrine is so important to me is because I can pick up a Bible and I can know who God is, or I can begin to comprehend little bits. Not, I can't know him all, but just to know and love him in little more. Yeah. No, that's huge. That's, that's why we do what we do. So thank you again, Andrew, for being on the show. It was so awesome getting to just speak with you and to learn from you. And this doctrine of sola scriptura, it is absolutely the backbone for Protestants and evangelicals. And I'm really glad that we got to answer some foundational questions through this. So thank you for being on the show. If you guys are ready, we'll go ahead and close out from Proverbs 30 verse five. All right, guys, let me put my my glasses on here so I can read this. (laughs) And it says, every word of God is tested He is a shield to those who take refuge in him.